thank you for coming on. I'm excited to have you here. And and we've you you have a, a different career path than most I think yeah, typically I, have. I retired in the middle of my career. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm curious about that because I think a lot of people only think about kind of the typical career paths they hear yeah, about. Yeah. And uh, I'm really curious to hear more about your career path and what that was and how it started and what led you down it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've worked in broadcast and in basically in the broadcast and media industries forever. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those uh, industries where and and sorry everybody don't don't quit school tomorrow but i think it's one of those industries where it the degree isn't as important i mean definitely get through high school everyone but but where um if you have some of those skills that you can get into broadcasting you can get into the film industry if you're one of those people who was fiddling around and making movies or making podcasts or whatever well since you were like 12 years old and that was that was basically me so i started working in broadcasting when i was 15. i had to get yeah. my dad to drive me to work so i could run a tv station on the weekends and evenings but i couldn't drive a car <laughs> so is a little weird where, where were you running that tv station at um so when i say running a tv station i had a job as what's called a master control operator doesn't that sound official <laughs> and um started doing that when i was in high school in a little city called medicine had alberta so i was fortunate i lived somewhere where there was a you know a smaller television station but it was still the real deal it was right. one of the oldest television stations in western canada and uh chat tv shout out the city was medicine hat and tv stations start with a c in canada so put a c in front of hat and you get chat and um so yeah that's that's where i started off at and uh and so that whether for better or worse but i literally started working full time the day after i graduated it mm. was a Friday night, stayed up too late at my grad party, came in and ran the Flintstones the next morning, you know, yeah. and it was, um, and then I was working and, but I really, I always loved television and broadcasting. I grew up in a home where the TV was always on my, I've had a love hate relationship actually with it because my, my mom loved it. She was always, always watching, uh, something on television. Yeah. And so I became very curious when it was like, even four or five years old wondering i remember one day back then believe it or not they used to keep people entertained for a half hour with bingo there would be a guy that would come on and they would have a bingo game and people at home would get their bingo cards from grocery stores where you'd you'd buy a bingo card yeah. and um and then you sit at home and the guy would pull out the bingo numbers and then you'd phone in if you got a bingo and this was very popular. Lots of television stations really? had a half-hour bingo show. And so I remember my mother watching this, and I remember thinking, okay, so this guy's in a room somewhere, and there's cameras. Gosh, I want to figure out how this works. And I was like five years old, so <laughs> I was hooked. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised when I found out that uh, bowling for a long time was the number one most watched oh, sport. Yes. My grandmother <laughs> used to love watching bowling on television. Yeah. I don't even know if they... Yeah, I guess they don't really do bowling anymore. Uh -huh. right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's so many other sports that have kind of yeah, swept yeah. in. But yeah, my family they were big into bowling. It um, my 
grandparents both bowled, and so did my grandmother. And they used to watch bowling on television. <laughs> I was, um, I, 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 I became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Day Saints at twenty years old. Mm. I always have to think about that. Was it twenty or twenty-one? Twenty, and um, and so when I was when I was younger, my parents were Anglican in Canada, Episcopalian in the United States. You would call it. Yeah. So we were Anglicans, and it was quite common. Your your children, your baby, had godparents. And so okay. my godparents were a, a lovely couple named Harry and Rita Royal, and they owned the Rose Bowl, which was a bowling alley in Vancouver, British <laughs> Columbia, just down the street from us. And so my parents loved bowling. And uh, so, yeah, watching bowling on TV was, yeah, well, was sorry, went down that rabbit yeah. hole, didn't we? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and that's probably why I enjoyed the Flintstones all my life, because there's bowling in the Flintstones. Flintstones. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, Flintstones is just a classic. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. Is, yeah. <laughs> um, what is what is Anglican like? That what's is that a Christian? Religion? Oh yeah, yeah. So Anglican or in the United States Episcopalian. Yeah. Um, I I don't know all the history of the uh, of the offshoot of Episcopalians versus Anglicans, but Anglicans are otherwise known as the Church of England, okay. and yeah. uh, and that's the church that if you dig into the history, basically. Henry VIII started it for nefarious reasons because he didn't like the Catholics, and that's that's Rod's twenty second take on that. But um, but yeah, it's a Christian church that's uh, throughout the world, and okay. yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a very well known church for many people. Was that just kind of the common religion in that? part of canada or oh no is... no probably the most common religion in canada yeah i don't even know if it is the most common but probably catholicism okay lots of catholics in canada mainly because of the french influence in canada as well oh, okay. and lots of anglicans because of the british influence british in canada influence. so those two religions are quite common there and then we have many other protestant you know religions as well and yeah. latter-day saints in uh alberta especially but throughout canada there's lots of members of my current faith there as well and uh, yeah. yeah did having that religious background before getting in touch with the the church of jesus christ latter-day saints did that help aid in your in your conversion to the church or oh yeah what for was that like for sure um i i i think i was born a religious kid I really do. Yeah. Uh, religion was important to me. Um, my parents were what you would call Eastern Christmas, uh, probably attenders a little bit more, where they went to church sometimes. My grandmother was, uh, she went to the Anglican church as well, and she was quite dedicated to it. So she would often take me when I was really young. Um, when I was about six years old, uh, my family had to move from Vancouver, which of course is a large city right. and we moved to literally like the middle of nowhere we moved to a tiny tiny little town um, my my dad his company went on strike that he was working for in vancouver okay. and my parents did not have a lot of money so after a year of trying to find other work um he my mother's uncle worked for a big gas and oil company in alberta alberta is the texas of canada okay and so lots of <laughs> lots of gas and oil resource type of work there yeah. and so he got a job there with a company that um basically they they ship natural gas across the country into the united states as well mm -hmm. and um 
So there was a huge compressor station in the middle of nowhere and eight little right. houses. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really different experience. But that mattered with the religion thing because there really wasn't a church around there. The nearest Anglican church was in Medicine Hat, which we moved to later. That's the town where right. I started working in TV. But um, so, yeah, we had a lot of years there where we didn't go to church. And I missed it. Even though yeah. I was a little kid, I missed it. So, yeah. so by the time I was a teenager... I really wanted to try and figure that out. And so went to a lot of different churches. And and um, really what I really wanted to be, this, these two things tie together. Hang in there, people, I promise. <laughs> I really wanted to be a disc jockey. I just thought that would be the coolest job in the world. So the radio station, uh, which was owned by the same company as the television station, it's this little town. Yeah. Um, so the radio station was just a few blocks away from my high school. So... We eventually moved into Medicine Hat, Alberta. When I had to go to high school, there was not a high school in this little country area where I lived. And so when we moved there, I started after school going down to the radio station and begging for a, <laughs> begging for an overnight job or whatever they would give me yeah. and doing audition reels. And finally, the, uh, the manager there, I'm sure the phone call went something like this. He called the... Uh, the manager of the television station and said, do you have anything this kid can do? So he quits coming in here and telling me he wants to be a disc jockey. So, but uh, what happened though, is once I started working for this company, a friend of mine who is a recent member yeah. of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he got a job being the overnight disc jockey. And mm. I got to know him. His name was Rod as well. Oh, wow. And so, and he so this would was let this me, was Rod and Rod on the it radio. It was Rod and Rod on the radio, which I should not have been on the radio, but it was in the middle of the night of a city of about forty thousand people, and so I would go down there, and he would let me spin records back then. Anybody out there knows what a forty-five is? Look it up. But um, you know, he would let me spin records and yeah. do yeah. This is and that was, and it's fourteen degrees and blah blah blah. <laughs> Sorry, Celsius. That's a pretty nice night if it's fourteen Celsius. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I was doing that, and uh, and during the music, he would sit there and talk to me about this new church that he had just joined, which is okay. of course the LDS Church, and so. Um, and so that's, I became quite acquainted with it. Thanks to Rod yeah. and me wanting to be a disc jockey, which has not happened yet. <laughs> One of these days, people, when I retire, I'm going to go move to a little town where they're so desperate to hire somebody oh, yeah. that, yeah, maybe I'll do the drive home show or something. But yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty cool story. Though, so how that's, that's together, how <laughs> the religion and the broadcasting all came together and, yeah, yeah. led you to led you to where you are yeah yeah, yeah. so what did he so he obviously introduced you to the church but did like did he introduce missionaries to you and then you kind of went from there or did you go to church and explore it or how yeah did that... no he did i also there was another friend of mine that i went to school with there who now is an extremely good friend he's probably my best friend that i have um who also was a member of the church and i didn't his name was gary and i didn't know gary really well well, I went to school, but he was also a, a, a really positive role model for me mm. um, because Gary was quite a popular guy and it was really good to see hmm, you can be popular and religious at the same time. These two things yeah. fit together, which is a dumb thing to think. But, you know, when you're 15 years old and covered in pimples, right. being able to know that 
uh, well, I can have both of these, that's possible. But going back to Rod, um, I eventually, when I graduated from high school, I stayed in my hometown for just a few months, got a job in another television station, a larger one in another city that was a few hours away. And wouldn't, as the Lord would have it, it's not luck, Rod's girlfriend was living in that city. So when I moved there, he would come and stay at my apartment. Oh, okay. And, um, and he would just conveniently bring his friends, as he used to call them, over, which were these two guys in suits with name tags. And I'm thinking, these are weird friends. So, but anyhow, so yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my introduction. But eventually, um, Rod left on a mission. And, um, and then I got another job for a network, for a television network in Edmonton, Alberta. Mm-hmm. And I'd been working there for about five or six months. And uh, um, tele- <laughs> television culture is kind of weird. Um, this is going away a little bit more now, but every city has their local TV celebrities. Right. And so one of the local TV celebrities in Edmonton, Alberta, was a wonderful man by the name of Eric Neville. And Eric was the weatherman at this station. (laughs) Yeah. And Eric had a show, a kid's show, called Popcorn Playhouse that had been running there for since I think the early 1960s. And this is, now we're into like 1980, I don't know, 1984. No, it'd be about 1982, I guess I so was 20 plus there. years. So yeah, it's yeah. a long-term show. Eric was the type of guy, if you went out with Eric, you would have these, all these people going, hey, Eric, do you remember me? I was on your show in 63, you know, <laughs> this type of thing. It's like, he was just that type of person. Yeah. Anyhow, so he was still doing this show when I got there. And there was this young woman about my age who was helping him with it. And I thought she was pretty interesting. And so anyhow, so I started, you know, kind of talking with her and trying to build up a little bit of a relationship there. And then one day Eric comes up to me and he says, so you like my daughter, do you? And I had no idea this was Eric's daughter. And I kind of stammered and said, well, yeah, she seems pretty nice. And he says, well, if you're interested in her, you better be interested in my church. And I said, okay, well, what church is it, Eric? Well, guess which church it is. So the Lord just put these people in my in my place. So took what we back called them back then. They were called discussions. Did that at Eric's house. Was baptized, you know, about a month and a half later. And uh, never did marry his daughter. But that was, it was just the way that things worked. Uh, stepping you know, stones to get. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just couldn't avoid it and by that point i thought okay i and there really aren't that many members of our church working in in film and broadcasting in fact it's It's one of the biggest issues is often if we do meet people if i do meet people who are members of the church it's usually past tense Mm. or they you know religion has not been a priority for them anymore it's a tough industry it really is you're expected to work seven days a week you're expected to travel it's really really hard to maintain faith so so the fact that i was able to find you know the stepping stone through my because really what i was doing was uh really led me there Mm. so and why because that does seem to be a common theme with anyone if people do work in that industry yeah and i think a lot of people almost sometimes stay clear of that industry because of well, uh, yeah, yeah. And parents will say, no, please don't do that. Right. Be an accountant. Be right. a doctor. Be anything. Don't get into film and television. And yeah, yeah. And what, like, what would be, as someone who's been in that industry and 
an, a member of the church, what would be some advice? Because I think I think there are people who are interested in that, but they do hear from their parents. Don't don't go into that. Stay away from that. That you know leads you down a bad path. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it can be navigated if you want to. If you try hard. Yeah, yeah, no, it can. I mean, I so I joined the church, and um, you know, to give you an example, I was working. I had to work Sundays, mm-hmm. and so I was only able to make it to church. If I remember correctly, I had, yeah, I guess I could make it there two Sundays out of three. One of the Sundays was difficult because I had, depending on, because church times, at least where we were in Canada at that time, they rotated around each year right. because everybody wanted the afternoon slot. Nobody wants to get up early in the morning. Early in the morning worked out really well for me because if I was on a night shift, an afternoon shift, I could get to church. Um, I was fortunate I never had to work midnights there, but, um, so I, I could get to church easily if it was in the mornings, but then on the years when I was in the afternoon, yeah, it was hard. You had to, you know, I had to try and make some, my employer was okay with me getting there a half hour late and I had to work with some of the other people, you know, who I'm asking to stay a half hour late, which I felt bad about. Um, but when I first joined the church, um, you know, it was kind of interesting. I, I, uh, so I, I'm really bad. I'm stringing three stories together here. But <laughs> I was a, I, I was a young single adult. I had no idea what that meant. But I was put in a young adult ward, which right. they were new when I joined, at okay. least in Canada. Yeah, this was a new idea, and so I was in one of the first young adult wards in the church in Canada. You know, and after about three weeks, I had a kind person come up to me, another member of the ward, and. And he told me, he said, you know, you really, if you're going to be, if you're going to give your life to God and you're going to be a member of the church, you really need to quit your job and find another job so you can be here on Sunday because it's, you know, it's basically a sin to be working on Sunday. And, um, you know, in that, when you're new to this religion and this culture, you're thinking, okay, I didn't read the fine print. Nobody right. ever told me that. <laughs> right. And I, you know, and, and so I talked to my bishop about it. And he said, well, he says, just do your best to get to church. Good bishop. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, and then I actually had somebody else say that to me about a year later. And I, I said to them, I said, so what are you doing later today? He goes, oh, my family really likes to watch back then The Wonderful World at Disney. Mm. It was a very popular show that ran on Sundays. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. Do you know what? I'm running that show this afternoon. <laughs> and if I don't go to work, you won't be able to watch it. So if you're really concerned about me working, then everybody needs to quit watching television. On <laughs> I thought that was a good response. Probably yeah. not the most Christ-like, but you know, it, it is. And so you do, you really do have to be, and I mean, let's face it, broadcasting isn't the only occupation that requires people to work on right. Sunday. We've got, you know, we want to call 911 on Sunday just as badly as we want to call 911 on a Wednesday. So right. we have lots of people, especially today in our culture now, where you do have to work on Sunday. But, um, you know, I think it's just important to pray about how can you deal with this. And I did that a lot. I prayed that I hope that I can stay in this industry and one day not have to work on Sundays. And it took about four or five years, but that did happen. Yeah. But but for lots of people who do have to work Sundays, and now that I'm working, I work for Brigham Young University at BYU Broadcasting. And um, I'm fortunate, not often are we called to work on Sunday, but sometimes we are. If you enjoy watching General Conference, guess what? There are church employees working on Sundays. So, 
you know, these things are really between you and the Lord that you right. need to figure out. And you need to figure out, um, is am I the type of person that if I'm going to keep this career, whatever your career may be, is it going to prohibit me from going to church? Am I going to, is this going to be an impediment to my testimony? And where am I going to be 10 years from now? And am I the type of person who can, who can organize and fight to keep this alive in my life, even though I have a Sunday career? Or um, if this is really going to be spiritually harmful to me, well then, yeah, maybe we do have to have a long, hard talk with you and the Lord about do you need a different career do you need to try in different paths so so i think it's an extremely personal thing yeah frankly i am really really surprised i did it because i was a real slacker kid um and it's a good thing i i met my wife like about four weeks five weeks after i joined the church yeah and she was just i i owe everything to her yeah. i really do because she was is it was and is very strong in the gospel and really provided me as a new member of the church a template and she um, was extremely supportive of my career and what i wanted to do but she was really well grounded as well to help me recognize okay if you can't make it to church on sunday what else can you do to build your testimony on this particular sunday what can you what can you do basically church at home or whatever how can you make it a different day at work how can you feel differently even though you're working on sunday and what should you be thinking about and so so yeah it's so i think there's lots of ways you can do it so that's an extremely long answer (laughs) to my passion which is we really need people of faith not even just our faith we need people of faith in the film and television industry to be able to to have that balance in there and to have that influence within that industry. I think it's extremely important. So, you know, I think when young people are thinking about, well, gee, I really would like to do that, but it seems to be a real wild ride. Well, it could be a real wild ride depending on what you can do. But remember, you are in control of you. Right. And if you pray about it and are dedicated with it, I know that the Lord will find a place for you. And, yeah. and so... And the Lord's navigated many a wild ride, so he oh, can yeah. help you navigate yeah. Yeah. it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if I can get through it and still be going to church this many years later, I'm coming up to almost 50 years of working in the industry now. Hmm. Am I doing that math right? Yeah, yeah, sadly I am. So yeah, I'm 62, 47 years of, of broadcasting and film. And yeah, no, it can be done. I mean, I'm it's harder, I think, when you become like a household name type of person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know this is going to come to a shock as a shock to you, Matt, but I'm not a household name. So, <laughs> so I think it's a little easier if you aren't in the limelight to be able to hold on yeah. and fit in there. But even yeah. some people who are in under the lights, they they manage to do it though. So yeah, where did you where did you meet your wife? When did that? Oh, classic YSA ward picnic. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> she was the chorister on the Anglican Church. You have a little hymn book and you just sing. Right. Somebody starts playing the organ, everybody sings. So my first Sunday in at a, at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, this very attractive young woman got up and started waving her arms, and I'm thinking, "What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we need you up there? I am not a music. I was not 
had not trained in music at all to even understand what a chorister or a conductor was and why you needed it. But anyway, so, but that's the first time. My first thought was, who is this and why is she up there? And then my second thought was, wow, I like her. <laughs> so, you yeah. can stay up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, right. that's right. And she was at the time she had just graduated as a dental assistant. So oh, cool. I made sure to book an appointment to get yeah, to teach her. To, yeah. <laughs> How sad is that? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What um, over the over the years you've done been in this industry has it changed a lot? Has it stayed fairly similar? I mean, have there been some things that changed, some things that have stayed the same, or is it pretty different? Everything has changed okay. in that industry. It is, and we are at the precipice of another huge change in the entertainment industry really? we really are COVID has just accelerated what was going to happen sooner or later but yeah it's just really what's that big what is that really big really changed um well right now as we record this most of hollywood is on strike um wow. you know the the screen actors guild is, right, is right. on strike and uh and uh, the story SAG and the writers are on strike as well, which are, you know, two key components of what you need to make a film or a television show. The technical people aren't at this moment on strike. But no, there's there's just a lot happening right now. There's a lot of concern over um does that have their, a lot to do with the like the AI and well, I was going to say AI. AI is kind of the cherry on the top of everything oh, okay. people are worried about right now. But you know they're still trying to fight out you know streaming rights and that type of thing. Oh. I mean, streaming rights were uh, streaming isn't new. I mean you know Netflix what two thousand eight two thousand nine started this and and so there have been union squabbles over screenings or over streaming already. But um, it's really hitting a, a real breaking point now about uh, how streaming revenues are going to be shared, um, what we call back-end payments and that type of thing on when you, you know, and most key people in productions, directors, producers, talent, they want to be in on what's called the back-end where if your show is still running and reruns 10 years from now, you're still getting a check. Right. And... That has been something that's been difficult to negotiate with the streaming uh, companies who are extremely reluctant to share their numbers mm -hmm. um, to be able to know, you know, exactly how many times was a specific episode or something viewed. And so being able to calculate payments and all that. So that that is one big thing. And I'm really simplifying it. It's actually it's 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 very complicated. Some of the negotiations are going through. But then AI, which has just come upon us really so quickly. Right. You know, it's just been mind boggling how quickly this technology is just all of a sudden picked up. And, um, you know, and I think right now. Um, there used to be an old joke: put ten monkeys in a, put ten monkeys in a room with ten typewriters. That's how old that joke is. If you know what a typewriter <laughs> is, and after six months, one of them will turn out a script for a right. for an episodic television show. You know, in other words, how good are episodic television shows? But you know, I think we're kind of at that point with AI right now, where it's kind of like the ten monkeys in the room, and mm -hmm. yeah, you can kind of get something out of it, but it's improving 
so quickly, right? Just exponentially, as you look at the weeks and months go, going by, and so this is a real fear where you know we will be using prompts, which is what they called in AI, um, where rather than writing a script, you will be prompting for right. a script, and you know so. Well, just give me a little bit more emotion in the third scene, and and can you introduce another female character in the in the second scene yeah. uh, as he's going into the bank and start developing a, a romantic interest between the two of them, you know, and then churns away, and two minutes later, you've got that you know modification done to your script, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, for the writers especially, I think that's a real concern, but even for the filmmakers too, there are there's. Uh, there's a guy, I wish I could remember his name, I bumped into on the internet about a month ago, who um, he is doing an AI filmmaking class. And he okay. feels the future of AI isn't going to be, you aren't even going to need cameras anymore. You're just going to need to be able to be really good at prompting. Right. And prompting will be the new paintbrush. It'll be the new keyboard. It'll be, you know. And who knows? Right. I mean, we're living in a day where... I remember when I listened to my first CD and I just wanted to go home and throw away all my vinyl because I was so tired of ticks and pops, <laughs> you know, and all the noise that comes on a vinyl record. Now we've got a resurgence of, you know, a lot of old school things. We've got directors who want to shoot on film again. And Kodak right. has had to open up film processing plants that were shut down, you know, when digital cinema came around. So I think we're going to go through a screaming AI uh, period, but then just like we're shopping for organic tomatoes, I think we'll be shopping for organic movies and television shows right. in probably about eight to ten years once we're sick and tired and we start seeing patterns in AI and we're mm-hmm. going to be going, ah, I can tell this is an AI written mm-hmm. TV series and I don't want to watch it anymore. And right. you know, so so I think yeah. it's going to be a balance, but right now it's 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 scary stuff. It yeah. really is for artists. Whoever thought computers could replace creative people. Right. You know, we knew they could build cars. We knew that they could do routine, mundane jobs that most of us don't really want to do anyway. But now that it's coming into the area where even creativity is on the chopping block, uh, that's, yeah, it's frightening stuff. So Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like, I think most of the time we thought, like, robots and machines would replace us in in the non-creative yeah. arts yeah. type way. Yeah. But it's it's impressive what they can do. But I do agree. I think there's a you can't necessarily always replace some of the human touch in a movie or a film or yeah. when it's all, you know, when it's not even staged, they're using real sets and real, you know, real everything. There's yeah. a lot to it. So Well, and the lawyers usually keep us in our lane as well, because there are going to be, I mean, there already have been questions about, uh, for instance, with, um, I'm trying to remember all my technical terms here, but with um, motion capture animation and being oh. able to take, uh, for example, what they did on, you know, some of the later Star Wars movies where, oh. where we had Carrie Fisher, uh, right. you know, motion captured and her face her younger face appearing in the in the film and whatnot. And um, there's going to be more of that because basically with AI, what AI does is this humongous vacuum that sucks everything up, puts it into a blender and then regurgitates it. But it's really taking creativity built over years right. and just blending it into a different form. And so you can bet that there's going to be 
situations where you know uh, where some famous person Tony Curtis's estate no. or whoever still owns you know his likeness or whatever is going to say you know what that face looks a lot like my grandfather and right. you owe me money and so you know it there's going to be tremendous legal challenges right working through this and seeing how this plays out i suspect what will happen is um people especially um after after they die the estate holders of famous faces may have opportunities to license those faces but do they have the rights to license those faces like it's just it's incredible what you know this will open up and so i it's it's going to be an interesting time it really is but right. it's going to hurt a lot of people financially it's probably going to make a lot of other people rich like everything does but it's just a real change that's coming and, yeah. and it is it's a huge change yeah. i feel like there will probably be a, a point where people you know if things like you're saying with lawyers and and things like that start coming up with you know, hey, that looks a lot like so and so. I deserve this. Uh -huh. I think people will. There will be a return to. Well, we want fresh ideas. We want. Yes. We want new ideas. Let's. Yeah. And yeah. and and AI can't come up yeah. with it. At least yeah. at this point, isn't coming yeah. up with new and ideas. That, and that is part of the thing. Is yeah. I, at this point, I don't really see it being able to come up with new ideas. But then, Matt, you kind of, you know, when I hear people say, even today, you know, well, I. I used AI to write something and it sounds like this or I can tell it's pulling information from somewhere. But, you know, human creativity, what is original anymore? If True. you go out to make a movie, I mean, we do this in our industry all the time. If you're pitching a new television project or a new movie project, we always want to have what we call comps where, you know, it's this show and this show with a little bit of this show put in. Right. Or it's this movie and that movie with a little bit of this movie. Well, in other words, you know, we're we're inspired by what our experiences right. and our experiences now so heavily involve media experiences. And we take those media experiences, mix them in with a little bit of real, real reality. But let's face it, most of what we're seeing in movie theaters and on television now are remixes of... Right. things that were made previously so we can't totally blame ai for doing that because we've been doing it so much ourselves that's so. true but no that's absolutely true um what i guess makes me think of another thing there's so much media out there now you know mm -hmm. it's not like oh yeah it's not like it's all coming from the tv or it's all coming from you know the newspaper or a certain or, or the radio i mean there's we were talking about this before there's tiktok Facebook, Instagrams, mm -hmm. YouTube. One is that are all the, having all those avenues of content. Is that a good thing for the industry? A bad thing? Um, and the other thing too is how do you compete in such a saturated, such a big saturated yeah. market with so much? Yeah, yeah, it is really hard finding a niche um, to be able to do that, and I think. I think if you're a larger organization, so at BYU Broadcasting, we are trying to, let me use this as an example. We are trying to create television, if you will. Um, it's becoming an antiquated term, but let's still call it television. <laughs> We're trying to create television that has a, that has a sincere element of faith in it. 
where we have people in what we call unscripted shows or what's referred to as reality television or characters in scripted shows where faith is a natural part of who they are. Mm. And we feel that that's a niche that needs to be explored Absolutely. and isn't being explored currently in media. So for a larger organization like what we are, I mean, on the, on the scale of Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO, we're a teeny little player, but we do have a wonderful opportunity to explore that niche where other people aren't really exploring it as much right now. Sure. So that, so as a larger organization, you can kind of find that niche as an individual. If you're a creator and you're dying to start a YouTube channel, it is, it's very, very difficult. But I think when I, as I look at the media landscape today and how you have larger organizations, the Netflixes, HBOs, Disney Pluses, BYU TV, we're in there in the mix, <laughs> um, where they are, when you come to watch material from Disney Plus, you're not expecting the same thing as when you go to YouTube. Unless, of course, I mean, some people go to YouTube looking for, I don't want to pay for a Disney Plus subscription, so I want to see if I can find an episode of whatever on here. <laughs> maybe a bootlegged one, maybe one that Disney's just put up there for promotion purposes or whatever. But usually if you come to YouTube and, you know, you find like, let's say Mr. Beast, who right now is ruling a YouTube universe. Right. Um, you're expecting something different, though, from Mr. Beast than what you're expecting from Disney+. Plus. Right. And if Disney+, Plus tried to do a Mr. Beast, it would be really hard for it to come off sincere. Right. You know, and, and I know it's a weird word to use, but I think it's... I think it really is where people are getting much more, um, what's the word? People are getting much more media literate, which is right. the big word for they're starting to understand when something is real, right. meaning this is a real person out of their bedroom who is creating something versus a corporation that is trying to fool you into thinking this is a real person out of their bedroom creating something. And so... You know, if that element, I think some people are looking for that. So if you're a single creator, I think you should embrace that. You right. should embrace that this is me with a mission and a purpose, whatever your purpose is, and be true to your audience and be really reactive to your audience in a way that large organizations can't be. Mm. And so I think that's, you know, I, I think there still is quite a dividing line between the two. Mm. But I mean, it's very tempting for large i mean obviously at byu broadcasting we're um we are not we're not in this to make money we're in this to what i say change hearts and minds and to right. and to help people come together and build bridges in our communities and inspire people to want to do better things mm -hmm. um but it's really tempting for for-profit organizations to look at people like mr beast and go how much money has that guy invested? And look at this return on investment. That, you know, and that's very tempting. Why large media is looking at tiny media and recognizing, wow, you know, there's there's a lot of there's money to be made there. there. Yeah. So, and everybody's fighting for those eyeballs and right. for people to watch what they're doing and to become, um, what is the word, to become loyal mm. to what they're doing and to become followers and be engaged and yeah. Yeah. So it's tough, but yeah. So you asked me whether it's good or bad. You know, I think it's harder to monetize because let's face it, 
um, if Mr. Beast or, or many of these other YouTube stars didn't have uh, the followings that they did, they wouldn't be making money. And most of them would have given up after a year or so. Right. Um, and so um, being able to find that return on investment is getting very difficult because traditional marketing has always wanted to be able to have demographics that were good sized, um, good sized fragments of the market. In fact, they weren't fragments. They wanted to know, you know, back in the old days of broadcasting, here's a television show that appeals to females 21 to 50, you know, and then you go out to the market and you go to Procter and Gamble and say, Hey, we have a show with, you know, 8 million females, 21 to 50 are watching this show. And Procter and Gamble goes, well, sure. Yeah. We'll pay money and sponsor, you know, we'll buy spots, advertisements in your show. Um, and it is getting so fragmented now that, um, so companies are having to look at whole new models like Hulu, for instance, and I'm sure others are doing this too. I just have been watching a couple of series on Hulu lately. And, and I've noticed where they, they have, really opened up advertising where virtually anybody it's like buying you know space on a website now so i'm when i watch hulu i'm seeing advertisements for local car dealerships right here in you know in the salt lake metro area uh, who are advertising on hulu and so things like that they're they're just looking at totally different models and if you watch it's interesting i watch you know i I'll watch a national newscast now. And before on a national newscast, you would see, you know, a variety of 30-second commercials coming from all sorts of different companies. And now it's basically one-minute ads or even sometimes 90-second ads from pharmaceutical companies with an occasional car commercial. Those seem to be the two big sponsors on there, which is indicative of just how many... um, how many, what's the word I'm looking for, um, companies, areas of the marketplace, they don't feel like they're going to get a return anymore buying advertising on those newscasts and for the amount of money it's, it is. So right. it's all about the money. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, and I thought it was, int- I, I think it's interesting you brought up um, almost the genuineness of the individual putting out the media and if people, and people are, can see that genuineness mm-hmm. and that you know, is it real or is it fake? Is what I'm getting something um, worth my time and being more picky about that? Yes. Yes. But I think, because I've seen a lot of, especially maybe not the big, you know, the big networks, but some of the smaller creators or even Mr. Beast, a lot of their stuff even is, you know, the things that they promote are things that they personally like or are connected with. And likewise, their audience then connects with it because they, connect with them as an individual yeah. so it's really kind of shifted the dynamic a little bit of advertising and promoting. it has and that's how come you know this term influencers which mm-hmm. you know that's that's what many companies want now is they want to be able to find an influencer that has a solid audience who if they recommend something their audience sometimes i think a little bit too willingly will go out and purchase or explore that product now the problem is large corporations they don't want tens of thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people they want millions right and so it's more difficult for large corporations now to be able to 
figure out where their audiences are, where they're so fragmented, which has opened up, you know, a, a whole other area for a new advertising agencies that specialize in gathering up influencers that are females between, you know, 18 to 50 years old or whatever. Right. And so they can deliver them as a package. And so it's, but it's always changing. I mean, you know, it, I think as long as we have a free and open media, this is just going to be an ongoing, right. ongoing change. And so, yeah. I do think though, I think BYU, the BYU TV network has a, a good avenue though, because I think there is a lot more media out there that's, Mm-hmm. Because I think people are growing tired of certain types of media or messages that are common nowadays. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're looking for more media that's uplifting yeah. and wholesome yeah. and inspiring. And yeah, you know, and still entertaining, and too, entertaining. because entertaining is really important. We, you know, we we want to engage viewers and listeners at BYU Radio just as much as you know, Netflix does or CBS does. And so that engagement is still really, really important. And um, and that's how come, you know, in my opinion, you can engage people in a variety of ways. You can engage them in ways that I feel are manipulative sometimes or, you know, just pump up the sex and the violence and that will engage certain demographics to continue right. to watch. But I really, going back to that, word sincerity um i think that that's a very good engagement tool as well where um even even larger organizations can create programming and media that is truly trying to do something inspiring and good in the world that still has a it it can still be comedic it can still be dramatic it can still have tense moments and all of those things in there it done in a way that can still have, you know, a a positive effect. I, I know positive is a very subjective word, but we're it, we're still being able to guide people and help them understand how their role in society can make a difference. I think that's really the biggest thing, you know, yeah. how they can, you know, creating characters and creating. Uh, uh, unscripted television shows where people are motivated and, and to watch after they view it to go, you know what, I want to be more like that person or I want to try doing something like that. And so, yeah, I think that is very possible to do, yeah. but it's harder. It it's is. way harder. You know, it, you can add extra gunshots very, very easily. Right. You know, you can add sexual content and other, you know, I, I play on those two because traditionally, those have been, I think, I, 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 by the way, I was a movie reviewer for over 25 years accredited for the, with the broadcast films, film critics or the Critics' Choice Awards people. And so I watched a ton of movies and, um, and I, I was viewing them from a parent perspective where we, I was doing along with my wife and another good friend of ours, we were doing movie reviews from a parenting perspective, mm. but you really start to see templates where the same thing is used over and over and obviously there are stories that justify violence there are even a few stories that may justify some sexual content but for the most part the violence and sexual content are in there as a very quick engagement tool and engaging audiences using less uh, overt methods is hard it's difficult it takes a lot of testing 
it takes a lot of you know very creative screenwriting and right but it can be done but it's yeah it's it's almost like the the cheap thrills it gets people engaged mm-hmm. but do they really walk yeah. away with yeah exactly a value yeah. after yeah mm. yeah yeah exactly so how did you you built that business of reviewing films yes you you built that yourself correct yeah yeah um so back way back what we were talking about working at the television station i i came back to that television station and was managing pretty much most of the station with the exception of the sales department um uh, i came back and started doing that when i was 26 years old and did that for a few years and one of the things i was involved in was purchasing programming what you do we call it acquisitions in the television industry and and right about that time my first child was born and um and then my father suddenly passed away i was about 29 years old i believe and um and i started thinking more about what i was responsible for and um and here we go again with the faith and winding into this um shortly after i joined the church back when i was uh 20 um i received my patriarchal blessing which is something that you know it's a very personal thing but um I I can share that probably half of my patriarchal blessing is about using my um, professional talents and skills to build up the kingdom of God. Mm. And so that really weighed heavily on me. And so by the time I was 29, I really realized as long as I stay in broadcasting, currently what I'm doing there are going to be very, very few opportunities for me to do that. I just couldn't see in my 29-year-old brain a way to do that. So I um, I left my job, which, you know, I probably could have been, had a good chance of having a really incredible paying executive position somewhere by now, getting into it that early. I knew a lot of people and whatnot, but I, I just really felt like I needed to do this. So I um, originally was going to, start writing wonderful movies and television shows that would have all of this. But I'm not creative that way. I just don't feel like that was my strong suit. And the more I explored that, I thought, this really isn't going to work. So then I met a guy at the time who was fairly popular. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Roger Ebert, Siskel and Ebert, maybe. Roger Ebert was a, a very prominent, probably one of the best-known film reviewers in the world, definitely in the United States. Um, so he and another guy were hosting a television series. They left the television series, and then a, a new couple of people came on, and one of these people was, and it was on PBS. It was quite a popular show on PBS, and yeah. one of these people was a guy by the name of Michael Medved. Mm. And Michael Medved, um, at the time, had just written a book called Hollywood Versus America. And, um, and so I read that book, and it, really changed my perspective. I thought, I am not the only person. It's funny, when you think you're the only person, you think you can't do something, but as soon as you discover you're not the only person, then all sorts of possibilities come into your mind. So I read this book, and basically what Michael was talking about was he was a film reviewer and had been for years, and how he was just becoming very um, discouraged, frustrated with how... uh, I guess the best way to put it was the lack of responsibility that the film 
and television industry felt that they had for the outcomes of this country. I think that's uh, those aren't Michael's words; those are mine. But that's how I interpreted the book, yeah. and um, so I felt like I want to contribute to this somehow. So I actually um, actually phoned Michael up somehow. I found his phone number back in the days before the internet, and phoned him up, and um, and he answered the phone and he talked to me. <laughs> And then I went and met him in Los Angeles. Very, very nice man. Um, but that discussion really inspired me. And then he actually, he was uh, in Banff, Alberta for a workshop as well. And I went and met him there as well and chatted with him some more. But he was very inspiring to me too. And I thought, why can't we have a movie review that speaks to parents, teaches media literacy concepts, which was something I was becoming very interested in. And at that time, Canada was one of the leading countries in the world in bringing media literacy into schools. Mm. And I don't know if you want me to, basically, media literacy is yeah, being able is to teach people how is media created and being able to oh, not yeah. just take media at surface value, but like everything from why is the music sound this way, why are the lights this way, to why did they write that scene? Was it really necessary? What... What yeah. is the overall purpose of this movie trying to do? You know, what are the messages in it? And being able to drill down. Mm -hmm. And so this was something that was interesting to me. But they were teaching it to kids. And I thought, how do we teach this to parents? Right. And so that it can be in the home. And I thought, what if we did? I knew a lot of parents at the time that were really frustrated with movie ratings and how the movie ratings were working. And they didn't trust them. And they weren't sure you know, can I take my kid to this movie and what's in this movie and whatnot? So yeah. I wanted to do more, though, than just count swear words and minutes of nudity. I wanted to be able to create something that would also dig even deeper into what is the overall message of this film or of this TV show. So so that's what we did. We, because my wife was incredibly patient with her husband saying, I'm going to quit my already not very good paying job and I'm going to go do this. Yeah. And... Um, and so we we started this. I started at that time. I was reviewing movies on home video because I was living in the city where I couldn't even get to the screenings of major movies that were opening on the day they opened. So I decided, well, let's start with home video because everybody can get a VHS tape. At that time, that's what you did. You went and rented a movie at yeah. the corner blockbuster. And um, so we were re reviewing home video releases and and got that going and amazingly got it into about 40 50 newspapers i started selling it to newspapers um and then the guy was talking about roger eber the other film critic very who at the time was a household name he actually reached out to me and uh said he was really impressed with my reviews offered to introduce me to his agent and that's a big mistake I made. I should have hopped in a plane and gone and met his agent. I wrote a couple of, you know, messages and stuff. And unfortunately, I didn't go very far because I didn't jump on that the way I should have. But, mm. but so, yeah, that's how we started that off. And then, you know, a few years later, the Internet came along. And so we started doing that. And then eventually I started doing reviews on television in Canada. And we had a radio uh, wow. A radio show we were doing and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, huh. it's still going. We have a friend of ours purchased it. And so, parent, what's, what's it called? Parentpreviews.com. Go check it out. So, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's incredible. So, yeah, that was fun too. And at the same time, I had a side hustle where I was doing news reporting. 
because Parent Previews wasn't making a whole lot of money to raise four kids on. And so I was doing news reporting and other media work as well. So this is great. All right, we're back, folks. Um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about before. I know we were talking about broadcasting. Oh, yes. And yeah. you're reviewing Parent Previews. Parent previews. Yeah. yeah. One thing I thought that was interesting, and you, you mentioned, it kind, of, kind of made me think about it earlier. You mentioned how you noticed early on that from a friend that being religious could also be cool. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you, when I was reading through what you sent me, uh, you, you mentioned that, uh, I believe you said being religious and then or having faith and saving the world is kind of what you're passionate about. And there's, and, and, and they go hand in hand. So I'm curious what, what you meant by that. And, what and, I meant by that. <laughs> yeah. And what, what that, what that means. Cause I think that's a like, really interesting concept. Like I'm going to save the world. I guess as, <laughs> So media obviously is a passion of mine, but sure. I'm also I also just feel like there's a I'm not even sure how or if I should crack this they go open, but I am getting more concerned about environmental issues. Yeah. I really am. I'm feeling like we are really reaching a point on this planet where if we don't start taking responsibility as individuals, that it is really going to bring huge challenges to us. And some of us are fortunate enough to be living in places like Utah, where we think, well, it's always hot in Utah. What's the big deal? In fact, this summer is cooler than last summer was. And, you know, and I mean, the ocean's not going to flood Utah and everything else. Or, you know, even where I came from in Alberta, it would, you know, had some of those feelings as well. Although now we're starting to get more fires there. But mm. there are definitely changes happening. Right. And we live in a world where we have to, we have this need right now to politicize everything. And I think that there are answers in the middle mm. that we aren't willing to explore going back to the media again, um, being moderate doesn't sell advertising. Right. You know, extremism sells advertising. So either you are very right or you're very left. You're very pro this or you're very against that. And those types of skirmishes, arguments, all-out brawls, even wars, sell advertising. They engage people just like we were talking about violence and sex. Well, really, it's violence. And and a lot of us are engaged by a conflict. There's a train wreck coming and we can't keep our eyes off of it. And I think that we really need to start. If we don't start looking for answers in the middle Mm. where I think a lot of the answers are, um, whether it's environmental issues, political issues, I just... I just feel strongly that we right now are on the precipice of really needing to make some very hard decisions and changes in our lives. Right. So, you know, when I look at environmental issues, I'm I'm a nerd. And mm-hmm. so some of the um, when I say I'm a nerd, you got to understand, like when I was 16 and 14, like, OK, do you remember back that little country town I was living in? Yeah. I was gathering parts to build a computer before is <laughs> was when. Computers were humongous machines, but I found this book where you could build a computer with some relays and a telephone dial. And so this was the type of kid I was. Okay, so I've just <laughs> always been into electronics. And so part of the environmental thing and the move towards 
efficiency and whatnot involves a lot of technology applications that I'm really interested in. So mm. that's part of what engages me. But I also feel like, like the Lord has given us this knowledge to be able to help us to survive, literally. Mm. And I feel like there are great opportunities that sometimes where we are so busy arguing back and forth on two extremes. Like, in other words, right now we're going through, let's use the environment as an example, just because that's what, one I've been reading a lot about. Sure. Um, where, okay, we want to electrify everything and we need to get rid of all fossil fuels, ASAP. Mm. And on the other hand, are people that are saying this is totally overblown we still need fossil fuels they have and many of them probably have great investments in fossil fuels and let's sure. face it i come from an area of the world where um my dad my family lived off fossil fuels he worked in the industry and i have many many friends there who do and and the province of alberta is one of the richest provinces in in canada mm -hmm. like i say it's canada's texas because of fossil fuels right and so no matter what, you're still using fossil fuels and you need to respect that and understand that, you know, that that's part of it. So, but, you know, you look at these two extremes and I've been doing a lot of reading and studying on this of how we have to be careful how we make this transition to being able to move away from fossil fuels. And there's a lot of moderate answers that aren't being explored. So right. one of the things that, um, a lot of researchers are looking at is so if we move into more electric vehicles maybe we need to put our focus there but we still need power plants that are burning fossil fuels that allows us to centralize where the combustion is mm -hmm. so that we can do the uh the the carbon scrubbing off of the you know when they burn natural gas or even if they're burning coal which a lot of plants still are in north america that at least it centralizes that. You're right. not dealing with millions of tailpipes. You're dealing with maybe 1,000 or 2,000 tailpipes that you're, you're dealing with, which makes sense to me. And then I read another study recently talking about how it's going to be difficult um, scaling up the mining of lithium to be able to create millions of electric cars. But there are cars out right now that they're called plug-in hybrids that that technology could be explored more where you could get 40 to 100 miles of driving off of with a car that still has an internal combustion engine but also has batteries in it. Right. And if you think about it, if everybody could get to work on battery power within you know a 50-mile radius every single day, but then those weekend trips when you're out on the highway, you burn some gas it would have a huge impact right. on the amount of carbon that we're burning right now. And so, you know, there, there are some of those moderate things that right. uh, that aren't as attractive sometimes to report on, but, and that's just one, it, we have the same, those same opportunities in politics. We have those same opportunities in, in education and many other things that we're, beating each other over the head about right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I just really feel that that is when I said that, um, you know, religion and saving the world could go together. I'm frustrated how politicized religion is right now. Mm. It should not be politicized. 
saving the world should not be politicized. This involves all of us. Right. And uh, somehow we've got to figure that out. We've got to be willing to stick our heads into different spaces with our neighbors and be able to look for where is the middle ground because probably the best solutions are in that middle ground. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's a very long answer to that little statement that I put on your forum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, but I think that's really true. And I think you make a good point. The extreme, the extreme stuff sells, but it rarely solves the problems. Right, right. And then we just sit in a kind of quandary where people are, you know, picking, picking sides and not yeah. coming together to really. Well, and it creates discuss. very difficult, impossible scenarios. Yeah. Um, and when I say impossible, I mean, especially in the time frames that we're looking at. Like in 2030, when we wake up on January 1st, 2030, is every car on the road going to be electric? No, right. it won't be. There will still be people. And some of those people, um, I am concerned, will be hard-nosed, very defensive, and I'm not giving up my gas-burning vehicle for right. love nor money because it has been so politicized. Right. When... There may be room there that you could still have your gas-burning vehicle for those right. weekend trips, but when you're going back and forth to the office 200 times a year, it could run on batteries. Right. They you throw out all the benefits and good yeah. because yeah. it's become a yeah. statement of yeah. who exactly. they, an identity of who and they are. And that's what we need to be exactly, Matt. I think you pinned it even better than I did because it really, when we start turning things into, it becomes a prideful Thing that we're just hanging on to just because I'm not giving into that guy or into that idea or that philosophy. That's where we run into danger because we're likely to make bad decisions. Right. And and that's happening on both sides of the of the equation right now. So and it, and it stops communication too. It pits mm -hmm. people against people where they're not yeah. talking anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. aren't. Yeah. You aren't talking or if you are talking, you're yelling. Right. And you're not <laughs> getting to your it's very unlikely you're going to be able to get to the point where we really need to be yeah. so so what do you and and this is kind of a a broad question i'm not sure there's necessarily a perfect answer even but what what can we in your mind what can we do to start bridging that gap because i do think it's the extremes are only picking up and we're mm -hmm. seeing more and more of it mm -hmm. and uh, more of more, more and more of it in day life, but also in just media and, yeah. and everything. And yeah. so, how do we how do we bring that back together? I think we really need to start building relationships with each other again. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think that social networking was ever supposed to. I'm not totally against social networking. Let me start with that. I think that social networking. I mean, I use it to keep in touch with my kids all over the place, right? And, and keep in touch with friends and and that type of thing. I think it has some great benefits. It could be there, but it would it should not have replaced human to human relationships the way it mm. has. And um, this is not my thought, but I, many years ago, when social networking was really getting going and everything else, it. I heard somebody say, you know, this is one more way where us as humans now are able to check the selectivity box of, oh, okay, so I'm a Democrat, so I want to have Democrat friends. I want to have friends who um, like sports. Uh, I want to have friends, you know, check, check, check. And then you can, you can curate your friends in an artificially, mm. in an artificial way. Um, I remember even back in the 1990s, reading a, 
a sociology study about the effects of after-school sports mm. because that really started picking up in the 1990s where parents, uh, some people termed it the minivan culture, where <laughs> parents, you know, you pick your kids up at school, you drive them across the city to go play soccer with a team of other kids who have been picked up right after school from all over the place. Yeah. And so neighborhoods are no longer really neighborhoods. The socializing, it's it kind of started there where you were, you know, you only, your kids are only socializing with other kids who play soccer or football or hockey if they're mm. Canadian. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and those types of things. Whereas, you know, and I know this sounds pretty Pollyannish and everything else, but kids used to meet at the park and play at the park. Right. And so you, you know, I looking as I'm looking out the window behind you, there's a row of houses there that have all different people probably in them, you know, with right. different political beliefs, maybe different faiths and different or no faith at all or whatever. And all of those kids used to get together and 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 grow up together. And yeah, there used to be fights and everything else. But usually the fights were over. That's my baseball and not yours and that type of thing. <laughs> But yeah. now we're, you know, we're moving into this area where we can pick our friends and curate our associations. Mm. And even then, we don't often, we don't even have that many face-to-face -face friendships anymore. Right. And, you know, in COVID, boy, that just pulled that, really made it even more extreme where now we even have whole, you know, um, uh, like even at work, we're working at home and, and we're missing those associations that we have at work now. And yeah. and there still is a push for remote work and whatnot. And I understand why. Remote work's great. I can work in my pajamas <laughs> if I want, whatever. Yeah. But we do miss out on that association. And when we are randomly formed into neighborhoods, uh, work colleagues, whatever you want to call it, when that happens at random... There is, we are forced into situations where we've got to figure out how am I going to have a relationship with this person on the other side of the fence with me. Mm. And and that requires um, moderation and being able to think about what your priorities are and what's really important to you. And that's what human relationships are all about. So Absolutely. that's one of my biggest fears. And I think that's affecting us in so many areas. Mm. And yeah, well, and it, it's a tough one and it closes off growth. And if you, I think that's a good point to, I like how you tie the faith in because I mean, why would we all be put on a planet all together mm -hmm. if we were all supposed to just isolate and be with certain people? Right. You know, we're right. obviously here to work it out and figure it out and work through people and different opinions and ideas and, yeah. and, and, and hopefully come closer than further yeah. away. So and I really think that there is a way, I know that there is a way that we can all have different perspectives on faith, different perspectives on politics. That should be what strengthens us, not mm -hmm. what divides us. Because as we work together, um, you know, differences can be incredibly beneficial. Right. You know, in the scientific world, people have all sorts of differences and disagreements <laughs> on how something may work but then as they work together suddenly whoa there's an answer here none of us saw and i think that really is uh, there are a lot of answers that none of us are seeing right now mm, and so, that's, that's how we make progress yeah so you know i guess answering your question your question 10 minutes ago with my too long answer is that 
just go out and, and meet people, talk to people, take the earbuds out and talk to people that you're commuting with, talk to people that you're, that you're shopping, that you're meeting when you go out and buy things. Hopefully you're still buying something in person and you're doing everything <laughs> online. online. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, there's another example of, you know, how much we are um, cloistering into these little tiny groups in our homes or whatever. And we're just not, we're not being challenged anymore. Absolutely. In so many of those ways that we used to be in the past where we just had to figure out a way to make it work with the grumpy guy at work, you know, like <laughs> that's, and my, and both of us were probably the grumpy guy, you know? So, yeah. 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 No, I think that's, I, I think that's a valuable thing that we've lost and need to get back to. So yeah. one, one last question, then we'll, we, we can wrap it up, but I, I'm curious. Cause I think, you know, you, you mentioned in, in, in what you sent me, but also as we were talking that, you know, you weren't necessarily, you know, the A plus student or the most yeah. disciplined or focused or, or, you know, anything like that. But you've clearly, you know, had a passion and took initiative and built a lot of amazing things and worked with a lot of people and, uh, and had a lot of successes in your life. And so what kind of, you know, Kind of where you wouldn't have necessarily called yourself the most, you know, astute or, you know, or the most talented. What got you to where you were and what can others do who maybe feel that way? I don't think that's an uncommon feeling of feeling like I'm, there's nothing special about me. Yeah. Um, how can people who feel that way, you know, still achieve and succeed? Yeah. 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 No, that's, yeah, that is a hard question. I think, um, Obviously, each of us are as individual as our fingerprints are. You know, we are each unique. Mm. But I think that we need to be careful again in this world where where we are being preached to frequently um, into to move into or to find what is unique and special about us. And we all want to be special. And we're seeing this movement towards narcissism like we've never seen before where you know it's yeah. all about me 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 and the, which is something else i think is very harmful and especially um i think that's happening younger and younger now uh yeah. where you need to be unique and what is so, that about sorry to sidetrack but what is why do you think that is because i agree i think there is a lot of that well you know i my hammer is the media we always build things with our favorite hammer right and so i feel like <laughs> media messages for years have been talking to young people and telling them that you are special you are unique well yeah you are special you're ask your parents if you're special you know and hopefully you've got a relationship with your parents that you can ask them that and if you don't have a relationship with your parents that you can ask them that then you just have to trust me. You're special, okay? Mm -hmm. You really are. You are a unique individual. Every individual is a unique individual and is something to contribute to their, 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 where they live, right, right to the whole global in this world. We really do. So I think that, you know, I think that this, but we need to be careful with that because special can turn into pride very quickly. Mm. And I think that pride is something that can be harmful. And when I use that term pride, I'm talking about, you know, we should be happy with our achievements. And we is nothing wrong with letting yourself know, I did it. I, yeah. I did it. I got through school. I got through university. I, I ran, you know, however fast you want to run in however many minutes or whatever. You know, you did it. It's good to recognize that you can do things. 
But if you start crossing that line into where your whole reason for being is to be able to say, I did this, I did that, then, you know, that gets a little more, that gets a little more dangerous. Um, going back, though, to your original question, I mean, um, I got to think about this for a minute. When I was the kid in that, so that little town, um, Western Canada is, especially where I was living, I was surrounded by ranchers and farmers, really good, hardworking people. Uh, uh, but to give you an idea what it was like, we moved there when in 1967. There was one telephone for eight houses in this community. It was a crank telephone. Yeah. I have had experiences actually communicating on a crank telephone where you crank it, you put the thing to your ear. Now, this was 1967, and I know, Matt, you're younger than me, but the vast majority of people in North America were not cranking their telephones in 1967. Yeah. They had push-button phones that you picked up and dialed. We called it dialing, but you pushed the buttons and you talked. So, so this little part of the world that I got moved into was, and I was such a techno-crazy kid already by the time I was six years old, and it was like, holy crow, where have I come to? Um when I was in school there, I was the smartest kid in the building for the most part, which was probably a little harmful to me yeah. because I, I got bullied a lot. And um, I dressed differently. I just looked differently. And um, and it, it was difficult. It was difficult. I was there for eight years, and, and that was really challenging. They, they suggested that I skip a grade. Well, that did me no social favors, you right. know, and... Um, and so there was just a lot of things that by the time I got, by the time we moved to the city, that I was, yeah, I was kind of a beaten up kid. I really was. Yeah. But then when I got to high school, I started meeting other nerdy friends. <laughs> I took, I, I went to a high school where they taught electronics and I just loved that. I got into that and whatnot. And, uh, and st I, I started, I instantly started making friends yeah. and my grades plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> time I got out of high school, I barely, barely passed. Um, and then, but that, you know, as I mentioned, I started working in broadcasting right. immediately. And so I had a career and on I went. But then when I was about, um, I can't remember, it was shortly after I got married, I started thinking, well, and going back to the patriarchal blessing, it talks about, um, you know, never giving up opportunities to to become further educated. And I thought, okay. So I didn't want to leave my career, so I started doing distance education, which wasn't very popular at the time. But eventually, let's see, I was about 26, and when I was about 56, I finished that degree. <laughs> and um, I was the valedictorian of a, of, at this distance. It's a huge distance education university in Canada called Athabasca University. But um, I um, had a very, very good GPA. And, um, but... I soon learned, though, even in my 20s, that like by the time I got out of high school, I was wondering, I thought, I'm not very smart, you know. And But then doing those college courses, those university courses, really changed my ability to have more confidence about what I could do. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I really want to say to your question is um, we never quit maturing. I'm 62, I am still learning things every day. I love learning things. 
And one of my favorite things to say to somebody is, I don't know how to do that. Can you teach me? Because that's how, you know, that's how I got as far as I did without a degree. Now, if you want to be a brain surgeon, you can't do it that way. Okay, you need to go to medical school, people. You need to get the proper licensing. And I mean, there are a lot of jobs where you just need to go to university. But even if you go to university and even if you're a brain surgeon right now listening to me, it still is good to say, I don't know how to do that procedure. Could you teach me how you learned that? Because I, I've i gotten through a lot of my life with that statement. And I just made that statement at work like two days ago. We're mm-hmm. trying something new. And, and, you know, I so I think if this comes with <laughs> being humble isn't something we can try to be or else we're going to blow it. <laughs> But I think that being willing to learn and willing to recognize what you don't know is so much more important than recognizing what you do know. And that's Mm. not original thought. We've heard that saying many times. But recognizing what you don't know and then taking that one step further and recognizing that you can learn that. If it's important to you, you can learn that. And, um, And so, yeah, I think that's really a key thing to remember. So if you're struggling in school right now, like if you're 16 years old, you're just shoveling your way through high school and you just want to get done, get through it, get done. Don't sweat it, but don't give up either. Mm. Just get it done. Go start exploring work opportunities. Go find what you're interested in doing. Get into the job market somehow so that you're able to support yourself and get moving. But don't feel like, like I had a, I had a, I guess he was probably about 28 years old, just say to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, yeah, he says, you know, I just, I don't know, I'm starting to get up there and I feel like I've missed the boat. And I look at him, are you kidding me? You have not missed the boat. You're like, oh my goodness. You know, you can, there are, and we live, one of the good things that's happened, we've talked about a lot of negative things. One of the great <laughs> things about our society in North America right now, yeah. you can change careers, you can change jobs. Like it used to be, you know, if you didn't work somewhere 15 years, well, what was wrong with you and why did you right. leave? And now um, you are able to be much more dynamic and responsive and you have to be. Yeah. You have to be the job that if you're 27, the job you're working at today, there's a good chance it's, it's either not going to be there or it's going to be totally different by the time you're 40. Mm-hmm. And so it's not even that it's a bad thing to be responsive to the job market. You've got to be responsive to right. it. You've got to be willing to change, willing to learn, willing to adapt in more than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I, which I think is a cool thing, you know, that, that we have those opportunities now. So. Yeah. No, the opportunities to learn, grow, and, and, and continue education are endless. It's just about mm-hmm. being willing to do yeah. some of the stinkiest steps that maybe aren't the funnest and go and figure it out, discover it, and, 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 and do it. When I started working on that website, I was not making enough money. This was parent previews. We weren't yeah. making enough money that I could hire a professional developer and keep them on all the time. And um, I mean, I went through a couple of them and I found this was just costing me a fortune because each one wanted to do it differently. So, you know, I just hit the internet and started taking cheap courses on, you know, how to build a website, how to do this, how to do that. Well, 
uh, finally, in the last few years, I was in Canada. Things weren't going so well for our business anymore because everybody was a movie reviewer and it was getting really hard. We still had an audience, but they used to be able to sell a banner ad for like 12 bucks a thousand. And now by the time I was done, you know, and that's when $12 was worth more money, too. And right. by the time I was done, you were lucky if you're getting a dollar twenty-five per thousand. And mm. so it was getting very difficult. So, but I took what I learned and I learned server-side JavaScript and learned, you know, Linux maintenance, uh, server maintenance and all that stuff. And yeah. I mean, I can still do that stuff, which is really weird. I didn't really enjoy it. But I was able to get some jobs through a couple of wonderful friends who were willing to take a risk on me. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm doing software development. And I soon decided after a couple of years of that, like, oh, man, I don't want to do this forever. But you know what? It was it still helps me in my job today to understand those techniques. And it got me through that time. But it was just amazing to me. I took a couple of thirty dollar classes, you know, and and the next thing you know, like you pay 30 bucks off really quick in software development. Right. And uh, so I, it is, it's incredible the things that we can teach ourselves to do. Those are all the wonderful things that are happening mm -hmm. in our world right now. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Rod. Oh, you're welcome. Matt. We went all over the place yeah. with that one, didn't we? Yeah. And I, and it, it's been great. I think this has been, I've learned a lot. I know that. And I, I think it, Everyone who's going to listen is going to learn a bunch too. So, yeah, yeah. and the camera just turned off. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank you once again, and we'll have to have you back on at some point when uh, we'll do a, do another one. And oh, sure. Talk about. Sure. I'm, there's always there's always more to discuss and go over. And uh, well, you got a fun podcast. Right?